jealousy makes people do crazy things. Hey everybody, welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and tonight I want to talk about the case of Danielle Marshall. Everything that you are going to hear in this episode today is either referenced in Oxygens in Ice Cold Blood or from the Cinemaholic. Danielle Marshall grew up in Powder Springs, Georgia, with her mother Gloria and her brother Brandon. She was very outgoing, she had a lot of friends. After high school, she decided that she was going to get a job at the local Goodwill. She was also going to pursue a career in nursing. She really wanted to become a nurse. She loved helping other people. She was very caring. She lived with her mother, and her mother worked nights. While Danielle was working at Goodwill, she met Josh Gibson. There was an instant attraction between the two, and before you knew it, they were, they were dating. Six months in... 23-year-old Danielle found out that she was pregnant. It was a baby girl that they would name Eva. The couple tried to make things work, but not that long after Eva's birth, Danielle broke up with him. Their relationship wasn't always the best. Well, I mean, for starters, he was living with another woman. Her name was Gina, and she soon, too, would be having Joss's child. Josh and Gina lived together. Due to Josh's schedule, the only way he could see his daughter was if he went to Danielle's house after he got out of work. So a lot of times, he would be at Danielle's house in the middle of the night. He claimed it was the only way he could see his daughter. Apparently, Gina was okay with it. On January 13th, 2013, 27-year-old Josh was supposed to go to Danielle's so he could spend time with his daughter. By the time he got home, it was like 9 o'clock at night, and he was tired. So he's like, hey, can I come and see her tomorrow? I'm really tired. He put the phone down, and he ended up falling asleep. He woke up about 11 o'clock, and when he looked at the phone, he realized that Danielle never texted him back. That wasn't really like her. So he sent her a couple more text messages to see if she would reply. After he got more silence, he jumped in the car and he headed over to the house. When he gets there, he's knocking on the door, door's locked, but she's not answering. He can, though, hear Eva crying inside the house, so he knows they're there, but he doesn't know what's going on. He called 911. He told 911 that he went to check on them and he's not getting any response and he wanted someone to come over so they can get in the house. Police try the front door. It's locked. So they walk around. Her back door was open. It was ajar. When they made entry into the home, one officer went straight for that baby because that baby was crying. Eva was found on the floor in a bedroom. Another officer went to go look around the house, see if he could find Danielle. It was in the kitchen that he found Danielle in the fetal position on the floor in a puddle of her own blood around her head. Police go to take Eva outside, and as they're exiting the home, Josh is trying to run into the home. And obviously, they're not going to let him in there. It's a crime scene. They give Eva to a neighbor 
That way, when Danielle's mom comes home, she can get Eva. Gloria had to find out from her neighbor what was going on. That's when she found out her daughter had been murdered. Upon further investigation of the crime scene, they were able to find out that this was a gunshot to the head. It was almost execution style. But there was no gun. There wasn't any shell casings. There was, though, a bullet hole in one of her kitchen cabinets that was up high, but it was above her body. Powder Springs was a very safe place to live. Everybody was confused. Police felt that this murder didn't happen that long ago. Like, this was somewhat recent. Her blood was starting to coagulate. Her face had markings on it, and it looked like it might have been from her being pistol whipped. And on her arm was a star-shaped wound. They know what that wound means. That means that she was shot at close range. This was personal. There was no forced entry. They didn't see any fingerprints. Nothing was missing. The house wasn't ransacked. And other than what they saw, they didn't see like a huge sign of struggle. Like this wasn't going from room to room. Things weren't knocked over. So they know right now she knew her victim. While outside, one of the police officers noticed something very interesting. They caught a glimpse of Josh's truck. And on the driver's side door, there was a bullet hole. When they asked him to explain the bullet hole, he said that that happened about two weeks prior to this murder. When he was leaving Danielle's house after seeing Eva, he said he was driving down the street and this guy pointed a gun at him and shot at him twice. He called the police and he made a report. He told police that he thinks it was a jealous boyfriend of Danielle's. The weird thing is, though, like, he still had the broken glass from the window and the actual bullet still in his truck. Like, he was just riding around with it. So they take the bullet that they found in the cabinet and then they took the bullet from his truck. They want to see if this was shot out of the same gun. Are they both in danger? Is there, like, some kind of crazy killer on the loose? What's happening? They bring him to the station so they can get more details. He reiterates his story. You know, he was shot out two times. He called 911. He did admit to still loving Danielle. But he said, you know, I still love her, but I don't want to be with her. He really wants to be in his daughter's life. And he's living with his girl, Gina. They also have a child together. He said he was growing worried because after he tried to get a hold of Danielle... And the fact that she didn't respond after multiple texts, that's why he decided he needed to drive over. He wanted to make sure that they were okay. Another thing that he admitted to was that him and Danielle were still sleeping together. He said the last time was that Wednesday. When they asked him, um, how's Gina feel about this? He said she's cool with it. They really don't have anything to hold him on, so they take a DNA sample They take his phone and he's free to go. When they look into the phone, it appeared that everything was collaborating with the story. About texting and calling several times before he headed over. 
When they checked the phone towers, they didn't ping anywhere near her house until the time that he called 911. Gloria, Danielle's mom, comes to the station to see if maybe she could shed some light on Danielle's life. Josh and Danielle did have a history of domestic violence. There had been 11 reports to the police within a 16-month span. Trust me, no man is worth all that drama. No, let him go. Gloria also told detectives that he was even physical when Danielle was pregnant. She told them about the bad blood between Danielle and Gina. They didn't get along. Gina was furious when she found out that Danielle was pregnant. And it was like a month or two later before she was pregnant. It was like she had to have his baby too. Gloria also told them about an altercation between the girls. That Gina tried to bump her with her car. She said no charges were filed, but they were notated. So of course, now they want to talk to Gina. She's trying to run people over and shit. But when they bring her in, she does not deny that she did not like Danielle. But she wanted to clarify that no, she did not try to hit her with the car. She was trying to get out of like a parking space and that she was turning around. So, you know, you're going back, you're going forward, going back, you're going forward. And that is what she was doing when Danielle tried to say she tried to bump her. She said, I never touched her. When they asked, have you been to Danielle's house? And she said, you know, I've only been there like one time. She drove by because she was looking for Josh. She said he was gone too long. Police weren't so sure when Josh told them that Gina was cool with him sleeping with Danielle. But believe it or not, Gina said yes, that she did know that they were still sleeping together. You know, where were you the night? Well, she was at work. She got out about 9.30. She went over to her brother's house to get his debit card and then went to an ATM at a Walmart. She was home by 10 o'clock. When she got home, Josh, he was already there. She collaborated with his alibi. He got home from work. He fell asleep. He woke up. He was still trying to get a hold of Danielle. He got worried and about midnight, he drove over to her house. She wasn't answering him. When they checked the cell phone towers and they checked the video from the Walmart and the ATM, it all checked out. So they were both cleared. They calculated that they believe she was murdered around 12. So it couldn't have been them. That's when he left. They go through Danielle's phone to see who else has she been talking to. And did they find more than probably what they bargained for? They found some text messages going between Danielle and a man named Eric. Eric was uh, pretty explicit with his messages to Danielle. Even sending that dreadful dick pic. Girls, tell me if I'm wrong. Trust me, man, when I tell you it ain't cute, we don't care. So they bring him in. And of course, he's denying that he ever sent her a picture. That, you know, they're only friends. He didn't talk to her like that. Detective Amy Randolph. Oh my God. She is hilarious. So in ice cold blood, he's sitting there and he's denying everything. And she said, should we do a photo lineup? <laughs> oh my God. 
So yeah, he changed his tune and he admitted to all of it. He said he was embarrassed and that he really did like Danielle, but she friend zoned him. He did shed light on the whole Josh situation, though. He said that Josh was very controlling and very jealous. He said that Josh had a lot of jealous fits. He last saw her on Tuesday, but he also had an alibi. He was at work. When ballistics comes back, the bullets were a match. This was huge, because now they know it's the same gun. But they're at a dead end. Everyone that they're looking into is alibied out. A month passes, and there's just no more leads. They bring Josh back in for another round of questioning. They really had a strong feeling that he was involved. They didn't know how. They didn't know why. They just had a feeling he was involved. They start asking him about the shooting again. He tells them the exact same story. They got nothing. Gotta let him go again. Six months into this, And this case is as cold as the killer's heart. But luckily, about eight to nine months in, the DA decided to open up a cold case unit. And they wanted to make Danielle's case the first one that they solve. Sometimes it just takes fresh eyes to find something that could have been missed. Shoot, sometimes if I'm stuck, I walk away, I come back, I figure it out. They look back over the phone records. They look back over everything. One detective did find something that was overlooked the last time. There was one phone number that was found in both Gina's phone and Josh's phone, and they were both used on the night of the murder. Phone number comes back to a man named Jesse. When they looked him up, he was squeaky clean. He didn't have shit, no record, none. I don't even think he had a speeding ticket. They decide, let's do a surprise visit. They show up at his work. Jesse speaks with them and he tells them he's known Josh since high school. And that's how he knew about Danielle. Took them a little while to get some stuff out of him. They could tell that he was nervous. But they confronted him and said, your phone was at the scene. Around the time we believe this murder happened. (laughs) You might want to start talking. On the show, they said that, like, he had that oh shit face, and he broke immediately. On Thursday night, on the 10th, Josh and Jesse were having some drinks, and Josh said, you know what? This Sunday, we should go over to Danielle's house. We're going to have a threesome. He said, we're going to wait for Gina to come home from work and go to bed. Then, I'm going to call you for you to come and pick me up. We'll go over to Danielle's, have a threesome. They did exactly that. But when they got to Danielle's house, she was pissed. First of all, Eva was still awake. And she did not know anything about no damn threesome. Or was she interested in a threesome? Danielle and Josh went into the bedroom to talk or yell it out. And when Josh came back out of the room, he said, well, she isn't up for it. That's when they left. She was the one that closed the door behind them at midnight. He confirmed that, yes, we did leave at midnight. So now they know they caught Josh because he's saying that he was home at midnight. His phone records put him at home on midnight. That's when they realized that Josh had used Gina's phone to tell him to come over to get him. 
They try to get some more out of him. They tell Jesse, look, any activity that was going on on her phone last was at 1034. They made entry into her house at 120. They're like, you had to be there for the murder. He's like, no, 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 no. There was no murder. There was no gunshots. There was no gun when I went over there. I went over there to have a threesome, not to kill anybody. He finally tells them the last piece of the puzzle. Jesse got back in the car. They were getting ready to leave. Josh said, wait a minute. And he went back into the house. Jesse said he sat in the car. He was listening to music. He didn't hear anything. He didn't hear any gunshots, nothing. And he said Josh was only in there for like a few minutes. He told them they left about 12.07. And when he came back to the car, he was totally normal. He wasn't angry. He wasn't upset. Josh was home by 12.17. Phone records showed that timeline was correct. Jesse was telling the truth. They knew they had him. They were now able to put the whole picture together. Josh didn't care about anybody but his damn self. He used Gina's phone to set up his alibi when calling Jesse. Because they can't pin it on him now. He used Jesse as a pawn to get him to the house without him having to take his car. He had been planning this for weeks. He shot his own car. This was all being set up by Josh. Nobody knew. In September of 2015, he was arrested, but he took his right to remain silent. He was charged with murder, aggravated assault, and possession of a firearm in the commission of a crime. They said the motive was jealousy, control, and greed. He didn't want to have to pay child support. Just when he thought that was enough charges. But wait, there's more. An inmate called police to tell them pretty much what Josh has been up to while he's been behind bars. He was putting a hit on Jesse to kill him. He did not want him to be able to testify at court. Jesse was going to be his biggest obstacle because that's who he was with. He wanted to make it look like it maybe was drugs or he didn't care. He just, he wanted him dead. But he's still not done because he also made a hit list, which included Detective Amy Randolph and a few other detectives. In ice cold blood, she said, I was on a hit list. Yay. I made a list. (laughs) I don't know if I'd be that calm about my name being on a hit list, but I mean, it did say she's retired. So January 2018, the trial for Danielle's murder and his hit list were all on the table. They also ended up charging him with solicitation of murder. During trial, Josh just sat there. He had no emotion. He had no remorse. He's a cocky little thing. But some point he could tell that this wasn't going to go the way that he was hoping it was going to. So he kind of just blurted out that he wanted to plead guilty. When they approach the judge, so the judge can ask him, are you sure? What are you pleading? He just kind of sat there for a minute. Then all of a sudden, He backhanded his attorney in the face. That courtroom turned into a damn circus because people are jumping on him. He's wrestled to the ground. It's just chaos. They're having to escort people out of the courtroom so nobody gets hurt. 
February 9th, after one hour of deliberation, he was found guilty on all charges and he was sentenced to life without parole. This just goes to show the maturity and I don't even know, but when he had to sign his sentence sheet where you, you know, you sign your name, he drew a penis. A penis is now his official record. I mean, he was a dick, but Jesus. Josh really took the easy way out because they received a call from the prison stating that Josh had dove off the second floor railing of the jail and he ended up passing away from a brain bleed. On the show, Danielle's mom, Gloria, said that I wanted him to sit in jail every day and I didn't get that. And that's unfortunate. I totally understand that. You want that person to sit there and think about what they did every day, haunted by memories. When police went to arrest Josh, he told them, don't arrest me in front of my kids. Like, are you fucking kidding me? You killed with your child in the house, in the next room, but you don't want them to see you get arrested? She said, child, please. <laughs> but he took the easy way out. He was a coward. This is just another example how domestic abuse can roll into the unimaginable. It might be just a slap here one day or, you know, an insult there another day. But I'm letting you know, it never gets better. It only gets worse because they feel like you allow it. It gives them control. It gives them purpose. It's another narcissist. He's living with another woman and you are all pissy pants because... She seeing other people? That shit really pisses me off. Please, if you start seeing the signs, even if they're little signs, get a notebook, write the dates, write what happened. That way, if you ever need to go back and just see exactly like everything you've dealt with, and even, I'm sorry, but worse comes to worse, if something happens to you, make sure that person knows nothing about that book. Maybe tell one other person, or I don't know how you want to handle it, but it can really come in handy later on. You got to protect yourself and your family, your loved ones. Abuse is never okay. If you or someone else you know is being abused, if you're not able to get to crimeovercocktails.com, I want you to call 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 7233. You can also text START to 88788. And this is National Domestic Abuse Hotline. If you need it, please use it. Don't be another statistic. If there's a story that you want to talk about or you want to hear about, message me. You can also find that at crimeovercocktails.com. There is a message me. Feel free to comment on YouTube or any of the other platforms that allow it. I'd love to know what you guys think. Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite platform or all of them. Leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. But all right, we'll talk crime another time. Bye.